Welcome to the titillating 20th episode of the comics podcast with all the sexual chemistry of a young woman who is soon to die being drawn in a very (laughs) in lingerie in a very in a way that made me deeply uncomfortable for story purposes (laughs) allegedly uh got the runs it's got the runs it's been a couple weeks since we recorded not that anyone would know so i'm just i'm just getting back into it i are we gonna introduce ourselves here Uh, i don't know i read uh, i read an article recently that was like the 10 most annoying habits of podcasters and one of them was like when you can't distinguish the speakers and i was like "Uh (laughs) we're talking oh i'm already sweating this is gonna be a good app (laughs) today we are talking ex machina it's our second you call it a bit of an eps machina i was gonna say sec machina a little too close to comfort there to comfort um we're talking X Machina, 17 to 34, the first two specials, which we'll get into. And then, so did you read the Inside the Machine special? I, I did read it, but uh, as I texted you, I thought that there was going to be a story component and there was not. <laughs> Indeed. Well, we'll still get you to break that down. If two hours uh, to listen to the first episode is too much for you, you can just read the Inside the Machine special <laughs> and pretty much get the hits. It gives you the, it gives, wait, what? It gives a summary of the... Uh, well, it just has a lot of, like, Tony Harris process talk and, like, uh, here's the photo references and all that. Right, right, right. Yes, there was a lot of lot of Tony in the last issue, mm-hmm. or episode, or He's issue. on his game. Else. Anywho, so we're talking issues, I already said that. So we're starting cover dated March 2006 is issue 17. So I went and checked just because I'm always curious what's going on. At any given time. So, also cover date March 2006 is Y issue 41. Mm-hmm. So, it a Y ends over the course of this chunk of issues. Yes. Runaways volume 2 issue 12. So, his run on Runaways also ends in the course of these chunk of issues. And then Ultimate X-Men, his last issue is in January. And then I think April 06 is the first Kirkman issue. So, basically, like, we're right in the thick of... His stuff. Yeah. His he's, goings uh, on. He's, he's got a lot going on right now. To say the least. Well, what do you think? Shall we jump in? Is there anything we need to discuss? Oh, I don't think so. Do you uh, understand what exactly is going on here? Uh, well, he, quite honestly, the answer is no. <laughs> Looking at the cover to issue 17, he's, uh, well, it's just a classic X Machina cover where he's just kind of standing like... there. Yes. But this one, his arms are crossed above his head. Mm-hmm. Because, I'm sure that uh, has some sort of significance. Maybe. <laughs> one, one would imagine it would, but uh, there's lots of peace symbols. I'm surprised he's not just uh, flashing the deuces. See, that would be good. Like, I feel like it's just like I did a drawing of his him standing, and <laughs> I'm done for the day. Yeah, the covers uh, the covers look good, but I would say when it comes to sort of the thematic or iconic imagery uh it's that's not harris's strong point as we have discussed especially when you compare it for like the covers for why where i feel that they are all really good in that regard yeah Yeah. and also like oh i guess he's making an x so it's sort of like the the y covers where everything's always a y i guess i (laughs) i don't think that that is a consistent thing uh (laughs) Well, I mean, in this one, it is. He does. He is making an X in this issue. Yes. Yes, and of course, the P sign on the cover alludes to 
the first story arc that we have in this uh, subset of issues, March to War, which opens with the mayor of Baghdad mm-hmm. <laughs> in a like a slight non sequitur sequence, which is like only really obliquely referenced after this point. Yeah, I mean, I th- yeah, I, I don't I don't really know what to make of this uh, this little framing device because as you're saying. It, we get one, two, three, four pages with the mayor of Baghdad, two of which are splashes. So really you get two pages of the mayor of Baghdad plus two panels. And then he is not revisited until at the end of the last issue, Mitchell is informed that the mayor of Baghdad has killed himself. <laughs> yes. Um, it's very strange, especially because like it feels like such a BKV reveal um, because in the way it's structured he's the mayor of baghdad yes with the fourth page being the big splash (laughs) the big statue statue, of saddam (laughs) with let him be the mayor of baghdad and it's just like i mean it's i would call it a mildly offensive portrayal where the mayor of baghdad is just like oh he looks like the the villain of call of duty modern warfare (laughs) he looks like uh, what's his face Zakaev, yeah, <laughs> he, he would, uh, yeah, the red beret and the yes, big the side, like aviators, the sideways red beret, the big stogie, yeah, <laughs> the dark sunglasses, the big beard, like he he has like definitely like I do I do think you're supposed to be like hmm I wonder who this like Al Qaeda leader is and then like turn right. the page and be like the mayor of Baghdad, <laughs> right? But then it's uh, it, it feels like they're introducing a character who might like come into things later. Mm-hmm. But no, no. Um, so, well, I mean, we can talk about the potential symbolism of the mayor of Baghdad killing himself later. <laughs> but um, so the essential well, structure. Okay, sorry, I, I just that did cue me off. I do think that the impetus for this whole like like this little sequence and the introduction like that that tie back in. I didn't look into this at all, but I suspect that possibly the mayor of Baghdad actually did kill himself. And that was just like something that BKV either knew or looked up and then was like, huh, like imagine being the mayor of Baghdad. Like they say being the mayor of New York is hard, but you know, Mm -hmm. I I smell some fact checking. (laughs) I was just reading mayor of Baghdad and the list only went up to 1958. (laughs) There's not much information about... Uh, unclear seems to be the answer. <laughs> Not a lot of information on English on the English internet about the various mayors of Baghdad. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, the essential structure. I I know it feels like it sort of gets away from the traditional structure that we've seen so far, which is like the like the who done it usually in the mm-hmm. superhero side, mixed with the whatever political issue happens to be happening on the political side yeah the focus is definitely uh in the in the present for this storyline uh it's very in the now which uh makes sense for a storyline that is about supporting the war on terror yes i i I don't think i really realized the way that it's like everything is sort of like three years behind basically so like Mm -hmm. this is coming out in 2006 but it's it's about like 2003 yeah yeah it's very interesting because like it is immediate like, you know, it's within a few years, so it's not like it's, like, a his- piece of historical fiction exactly. Yeah. But it also, like, is a little bit removed, so it's sort of, like, looking back. It's interesting. Also, a few times, I was confused as to whether or not something was a flashback, and I realized it's because I was reading it on my computer 
on a digital copy and I had my flux on. (laughs) 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 And so I was like, why is everything sepia toned? Is this in the past or the present? And there's a there's out. a fair bit of like moody color grading in this section. I'm, I'm yes. maybe it's because I'm looking at the conversation between hundred and journal, um, but that is certainly like very, very like color washed for those sequences. Yes. Um, so basically, the overall structure of this is that there's this big protest, basically like against the war in Iraq is the short answer. Mm-hmm. Um. Which Journal also attends at the dismay, to the dismay of Mayor Hundred. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's a terrorist attack at this event where it's what, like ricine powder or something? Uh, gas. Isn't it powder? No, it's gas. You see them, the- the, you see the gas, uh, coming out at the end of the issue and then and then in the conversation with like the fbi guy he's like i thought ricin was a powder and he was like sometimes it is (laughs) (laughs) you're right brian (laughs) (laughs) tune into breaking bad in a few years for a lot of ricin talk yes and then and then it's like ways into other things like there's the guy who gets killed because he's carrying drugs and all that stuff yes it uh, it's it's interesting yeah he really uses the like war on terror to talk about a lot of like the i, I mean it, it makes sense considering that he's like taking the mayor of new york angle but he really turns it more like on the domestic side of things the the like far-reaching tentacles then like it stops being about the war on terror pretty much after the first issue yeah, I, I feel like it's a bit of both. Um, it's definitely, like, it gets really... I mean, I guess the whole book kind of has these, like, shades of gray. But it definitely feels like it's, like, intentionally wading into very murky waters in terms of the politics of it all. Mm-hmm. Well, basically, the the main... The, the first thing that we should talk about is this shot of journal which i feel like well it's several shots really which i feel like deserves its own discussion where i assume you're being sarcastic when you argued that it was thematically appropriate oh, yeah when i said it was for story purposes right yes yeah, so basically it's this conversation between mayor hundred and journal where she's telling him that she's going to the protest and he is discouraging this and she has resigned from his office because she feels so strongly about this and throughout the scene, her side of the phone call, she's wearing like a pink nightgown, like see-through lingerie. Yes, yeah, she's wearing like very sexy see-through lingerie, and like the outline of her nipples is visible. <laughs> Frequently, and it's just like it's just so vile. Like, <laughs> uh, like, truly, I feel like there's just like there's no. There's no defense for this, I feel like. I, okay. I don't like it. <laughs> I, I can see where where they might have felt it's thematically appropriate, given that, okay, number one, she's with, like, her boyfriend slash, like, this guy she's just met, and he is ultimately her impetus for leaving her job so that she can participate in this march for peace. So having yes. her in lingerie and, like, emphasizing her sexuality, especially for a character who I feel like they've been very careful to, like, not sexualize, sort of. Well, yeah, I don't, is that true? 
I guess I, don't know. I think I think what we're supposed to have thought up to this point is kind of like she's hot. Why doesn't like hundred get with her and like Clinton it up? like to a certain extent and then he very deliberately hey did someone say my name <laughs> i did not inhale um <laughs> i like <laughs> big big self yeah. for i did not inhale i was just thinking about all the good times i've used i did not inhale to great effect um uh so like that i think that is like deliberately supposed to be sort of lingering over their relationship at all times but then like the whole question about like hundred sexuality or asexuality um and his like very deliberate like trying to sort of like draw lines around that to make it not be that results in in a certain amount of like desexualization anyways i think i think putting the emphasis on her sexuality for that makes sense the fact that it's valentine's day and like the preceding pages show like hundred like disappointing his ostensible girlfriend uh suzanne padillo certainly Um, his his intimate friend i i i do think there's a certain amount of like interest to go from like hundred is so like dominated by his job and his work that he is unable to be intimate with whatever, however you would classify Padillo. And then he goes and meets with the commissioner who is so consumed by her work that she's not able to be sexual with her husband. And then he goes home and gets a call from Journal, who, as a result of this sexual relationship, is making a decision to leave her job because because of like the relationship as opposed to vice versa. So I, I yeah, I think... It makes sense if you're going to portray a young woman apparently like recently post coitus <laughs> with her partner. It doesn't not make sense to have her in lingerie. I think it's gratuitous for the purposes of like the storytelling, but I do think it's defensible to a certain degree. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe I like truly. I feel like you if if the f- shot like if the scene took place with her naked, like, lying in bed with covers on. Like, I feel like that would be less gratuitous than what is drawn. Certainly. Because it's, like, it, it's made... The main thing I have a problem with is, like, the outline of her breasts through the <laughs> clothing and, like, the clear outline of her... It's, like, why, why did you have to do that? Like, what spurred that on specifically? Yeah, it, it is true that, like, she could either be naked or wearing, like a different form of lingerie that is like equally sexual but not as like nude i guess <laughs> and, yeah, it's just, and they would it's both just accomplish so weird, the like, same thing without and and somehow both be more preferable <laughs> yeah it just like i think what what like <laughs> troubles me about it is that, like it feels so intentional <laughs> it does it does feel like as soon as you see that shot of her like reclining in the chair looking at uh the guy that she's met in her lingerie it i feel like i can hear someone leaning into my ear and going like ooh yeah it's like it's also like it we basically get a hard cut because it's like 100 picks up the phone yeah. and then we immediately see her on the other end like it's like there's no establishing shot and it's just like <laughs> you go from him watching tv to like this shot of her and it's just, it's a little jarring, I guess. But anyways, I don't know. Uh, I, f- I feel that this scene brings up a slightly different 
a problem for me and I'm not sure if it's a consequence of serialization like in the monthly format or maybe similar to some of the the like characterization issues that we had talked about as we started to get into like some of the late stages of why and some of the big character beats there but she has a like this conversation uh just to get away from journal's nipples for a little bit the conversation that she has with hundred I feel like implies a very close relationship and other characters will later allude to how close they were that we haven't really seen on the page. Like particularly when she, when she tells, like he says, um, you can't be involved in this protest because it's like basically like the policy of the mayoral office that none of the staffers are allowed to comment on like non-local issues. And she says, but all politics are local, sir. You're the one who taught me that. And I'm just like, when? <laughs> he did? <laughs> like, he, yeah, basically, like, he did? Like, I, I know, you know, I think I think she has been an important character. And obviously, the outcome of this storyline, spoilers, she dies, um, will we'll cast, like, a very long shadow over how we read into, like, many of the other things that 100 does. But it just is another case of, like, similarly to like the relationship between Yorick and um and 355 it's like i like it and also i wish i didn't feel like i was just finding out about it now right exactly like he it's it's definitely clear that he's always kind of had a certain amount of affection for her that he views her as sort of like a protege that he sees her as someone with like a ton of potential and he's he's sort of like i'm honored to be part of this sort of like formative part of her experience but but we rarely see them like just interact with each other. Yeah, and I'm it's it's strange. Just like I the way this character shoots so strangely, and we could talk about it maybe at the end of this arc with the her ultimate fate. Spoilers, she dies. <laughs> but it's just it was very strange to me because like it felt like like she was an established character certainly, but I wouldn't like she's maybe like I wouldn't even say she's as well. I guess like she's more established than candy <laughs> but, like, but like not by a lot <laughs> yeah it, feel, it feels like really the only characters who have the level of like familiarity with them that their death would like feel particularly i guess the commissioner as well but even, i was thinking well, like, even co- like I wiley wiley Bradbury, Kremlin and Bradbury. Kremlin. yeah i think yeah. that's pretty much it and then the commissioner is sort of like in the tier two with yeah. journal but like it, and it, it just it feels like the character like is being built towards something like that was my impression in the early stages, and then she just kind of like abruptly, not abruptly, but gets killed and then is immediately replaced with her own sister. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I think it's kind of supposed to feel like that. Like I think the purpose, like you're supposed to really like feel the tragedy of her death and like the wasted life because of uh, uh <laughs> the war on terror no i i guess i'm not i yeah like you're saying it's it's like a very gray storyline that like touches on a lot of different things but i do i do think that there's kind of an intended sort of like it doesn't really matter why it happened it's a tragedy that it happened and that is like manifest through the death of journal yeah, but then it's like then, like her, it just turns into like oh, her role in this is to be dead, mm-hmm. and like, you know, like we've talked about the whole fridging thing many times before, and like 
I guess it's well, I feel like it is maybe like a traditional fridging where it kind she of dies is, yeah. <laughs> to serve as like plot slash character development. But I, I I get what you mean. Like it does maybe sort of feel and I was feeling it as I read it, like it feels like a classic like arc where she's just in a coma for a while and then it ends with her waking up. But then it's like, no, she died. <laughs> she there was Spoilers. there was a possibility that she would die and then she did. Yeah. Which makes it feel a little more real. But then it's just like, again, like, it's just like, that has nothing to do with the character. It's just like, for dramatic effect, essentially. Yeah, I think the, what we were just talking about with that sort of lack of characterization, not not that there's a lack of characterization, but just she doesn't have enough page time for it not to feel like a very classic fridging. Yeah, she's just like, it's just, she's not a character. Well, she's not much of a character. Yeah, she's a bit of a character, but primarily her role was first to, like, kind of, like, be this, like, symbol of, like, what drove 100 into politics in a certain way, or, like, the the young energy of the people that he wants to capture. And then her role is to, like, die and be his motivation for the rest of the book. Yeah. And even Wiley is sort of that character a lot as well, where it's, like, his main role is just to like be a different perspective yeah, like, in a I conversation but also like it just he just feels so much more like fleshed out as a character and like has more of mm. like a distinctive voice separate well, from 100 like, yeah like we meet his brother before he dies <laughs> and like yeah and we get his perspective on a lot more things and even like like you were saying like who's more of a character journal or candy and i'm like well i feel like i know more about what's important to candy than i do about what's important to journal i love candy (laughs) (laughs) she's just just trying to do her job she's a nice lady she's a good catholic catholic (laughs) what was who's that oh colin farrell no that's uh patio lanterns Or sorry, patio cushion. That's, yes, that's the one I ha- I have. <laughs> Please, patio lanterns is copyrighted. <laughs> um, yes, and then what this arc then turns into. So this attack takes place. Journal is in the hospital in a in a coma, and other people have died, mm-hmm. and so, others are in the hospital. Yeah. It starts as like a war on terror story for one issue, and then turns into like a Patriot Act story. Yeah, to a certain extent, and also like, well, the the other big thing is this taxi driver who is a Sikh, not a Muslim, who, like, basically gets, like, revenge killed or, like, hate-crimed. Yeah. um, And is murdered by just, like, these two kind of random guys, I guess. Yeah, like, that is is a kind of strange, like, story beat. Not in that, like, it doesn't make sense, because, of course, there's, like, so many accounts of that actually happening. But that, that seems like it's kind of going to be, like a bit of a B plot running through the overall story of like who's responsible for the the gas attack but then it's like solved within like one issue and like... yeah and it's like never really has an impact and also like a few pages before there's a sequence where Mitchell is thinking about all of like the people who could potentially have been responsible and he's thinking back to all the people he thwarted. I love that page. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like two spreads. Yeah, that Bradbury um, Bradbury is basically like, what you think someone from the Great Machine days who would want you like dead that bad? And yeah, we get like basically a career highlights montage that is awesome. <laughs> yes, but there's one where like he's he's holding like someone who looks like a genie essentially. Yeah. like he has no lower body. It's like a wisp, 
and then but then he's covered in tattoos mm-hmm. and so then when i saw this other guy who is like a punk who is bald and has like <laughs> tattoos on his head i was like oh it's this guy clearly uh they don't actually look that similar but i was like bald and head tattoos we just <laughs> saw this so it must be this guy but it's not it's just some random guys yes yeah, so, yeah, there's really a lot going on. So, But yes, as you said, it basically turns into a Patriot Act or like a, a government surveillance thing where, you know, there are cops at every subway station yeah. and racial profiling starts to become a conversation. And then at the same time, there's this whole incident where a guy gets shot by police because he's like... He runs away he, from the he subway check. suspiciously and then they see him reaching into his jacket and uh and make the kill yes and then it's like he was holding powder but it was coke not the rice scene or anthrax or whatever yeah and then we also get <laughs> these the continuing of mitchell's weird dream sequences yes <laughs> the the bkv favorite move bizarre dreams yes, yes. there's the one the one particularly wild sequence where it's like he dreams that he is in Iraq. Like, oh, you mean the one the where his jetpack wings <laughs> cut off two guys' heads? I thought that was very normal. <laughs> yes, where he unfurls his wings and it simultaneously <laughs> beheads two guys. Uh, it does indeed have a shing sound effect, which of course I love. Oh, and, and a shuck shuck <laughs> sound <laughs> effect for the heads being chopped off. I did not know that. Shucky quack quack. Oh. Yes, and we, we get into more exploration of all of this stuff as time goes on in this uh, set of issues. Yes, I think uh, I think in terms of like the broader story, the big impact is the like the security measures that 100 is willing to take uh, sort of act as like the hammer to drive the wedge that already kind of exists between him and Wiley in much deeper. And the I, it's, it's interesting that we get kind of like a, an initial look at how how mitchell is interacting with like religious figures beyond the first uh you know the boxing priest who we love and who is back lots in this chunk of issues Mm -hmm. but the like yeah i i find that like council of the religions very interesting uh as like a precursor to the um ex-cathedra storyline that we'll get to down the road and the the sort of overall thesis about like political heroes and things like that, the ways in which he's willing to kind of engage with religion for the purposes of like the spectacle and the appearances, um, but almost always does so, uh, you know, he's he's an engineer and he sees it as like a, a leverage tool, basically. He's rarely just doing something when it comes to those those people and those communities in good faith. He's almost always doing it because he has another objective that he's trying to accomplish uh which i i think is like an interesting bit of characterization that like when you read this first incident it doesn't necessarily like stand out as something that i would necessarily say is like wow how callous or anything like that but it's it does kind of like start a trend where where yeah you just you just see the ways in which he's he's really willing to like use people in certain situations yes and it's something that gets brought up I think more explicitly in other sequences. Um, like I, there's a scene where Wiley is talking to January, I think where it gets brought up kind of explicitly like that his behavior is sort of robotic mm-hmm. and he is like always calculating and thinking things from a very pragmatic, logical perspective, mm-hmm. uh, which 
yeah, I mean, I, I guess you can see that in sort of his policies. Like, his policies are very... Not utilitarian. Not, yes, not maybe not always data driven per se, but yes, very utilitarian. Like, but yeah, it's interesting because because I think what we've seen so far of his policies is that he tends to be quite socially liberal, but also his whole thing is that he's tough on crime, <laughs> and that's his sort of conservative bent, mm-hmm. which to be fair is constantly justified throughout <laughs> this book because there are constantly like crazy serial murderers and attacks taking place. Yes. And and with his history, of course, as a vigilante, makes sense that he would kind of campaign on that. Yeah, I I find like the council of the like religious leaders and things like that also interesting. Like for us as Canadians, where like religion and politics is like not really as much of a cultural consideration, but for him and like I th- I guess it's more it's more pertinent in like the ex cathedra storyline. It's like people care whether or not he goes to like see the Pope. Um, and like there's a there's a component of like there's a certain degree of expectation that whoever is running they're going to have like some sort of religious background some sort of like desire to appeal to like that voter base they're they're going to be expected to care if the pope wants them to come and visit not that i mean i guess anyone would care if the pope was like come visit me but it's me the pope it's, it's me father pope jp dose <laughs> JP deuces <laughs> to the to the Catholic world Indeed. to the congregation. <laughs> uh, another thing we see in this arc, although very briefly, not to the extent that we we see it. I think it's at the end of the next arc that we see sort of the full reveal of it. But we start to get more flashes of what basically how things went down on nine eleven. Yeah, and his whole hand in that, which. I, I don't know, is there, it doesn't feel like there's really a purpose of that other than just sort of like giving us more background. Yeah, it's it's just sort of filling in the the blanks, I don't think. So I think, I read an interview with Vaughn where he basically said like, he has a like bizarrely detailed document about <laughs> Hundred's whole careers, The Great Machine, um, which I think includes like an hour by hour outline of what he's doing on 9-11. So... I, I think there's an extent to which that is just sort of like filling in the blanks and like answering some of the questions that it raises to be like, this guy was there on 9-11 and saved one of the towers. It's kind of like, well, how? Like what happened? <laughs> like when it's when it's a day that is so uh, like well remembered and well documented with like the 9-11 commission report and things like that, where people like know what was happening in all the important areas, like every second of the entire day. It makes sense that people are kind of like that there would be an interest in wanting to know what he was doing on those days. Yeah, I I really like the the page that shows him like guiding the plane down to land in the freeway. That's oh, an yes, awesome no, page. That's what I was uh, alluding to and didn't want to bring up now. But yes, it's like it's it feels sort of random, but it is it's the closing page to one of the issues. Um, I think in this arc coming up, which is called Smoke Smoke. Puff Puff. I did not inhale. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, Tony Hale. Oh. But yes, but actually what we need to talk about first is the specials, right? Because don't they come in Well, let's here? let's first clarify uh, the resolution of this storyline. Uh, Mitchell yes. is like basically conscripted by Anyadi Agnati. Anyadi? I said Agnati, but... Who knows? Um, anyways, oh, I think it is Engadi. He he is given her blessing to help her uh, by using his powers to hunt down 
the person responsible um and he does so and this is this is also interesting like obviously with a career as a vigilante like the the due process of law is probably not going to be always like something that's terribly important to him but it's interesting to see like Angadi who has been like very strict with him from the start the things that she's willing to compromise her ethics for and kind of like get the answer first and then fill in the the like back trail later to give it sort of the appearance of legitimacy but but yes he he helps her get get the guy who did it and i do we really i don't think we really get an explanation for why he did it no which i think is the point also like i think it's almost a bit of a sort of guantanamo or the uh like sort of the torture discussion that was very big in the u.s at this time where like they they did all of this and they found the guy but they still don't really get an answer like the guy basically all we find out about the guy is that it was based on 9-11 yeah, like he did his, it because he, of the great machine basically yeah well yes and that he he wants he's intending to fit in it finish what was meant to happen on 9-11 essentially mm-hmm. but then says he's an atheist yeah, it's not religiously not... motivated, and and hundred demands to know why he did it, and we we don't get an answer. Yes, which I think is sort of the idea that it's like even if you find, and also the fact that this guy was not you know known to the CIA or anything like that, and it's just sort of popped up out of nowhere. I think is sort of the idea that you they got they got the answer in terms of who is responsible, yeah. and but they didn't really get any actual answers in terms of motivations or anything like that which i think is sort of the idea of like that's what the patriot act does like even if you find the person you're not really getting the answers Mm -hmm. you're you're treating symptoms as opposed to root causes exactly and then the final scene is that he comes to the hospital to find wiley and father z there yes revealed that journal appearing to be awake but in fact she is already dead and a yes. very very bizarre shot of her face. I don't <laughs> I don't know what's going on with the perspective of that image of her lying in the hospital bed, but it does <laughs> not. She looks a little off model there. I gotta say, it's true. Her face is a little squished. <laughs> but yes, shall we move on to the to the especial? We shall. Yes, I believe. So, is it so? The, this just they just decided to do this. Basically, is that? Uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure what exactly prompted this um other than i think like maybe he wanted to um do like the fearsome origin story basically but it wasn't sort of in the like the plan for the regular book so he decided to go for it yeah it's just surprising to me that they wouldn't have this in the main book and i guess like it's not extremely directly important but we do get reference. So I, I went back and read these after I'd gone through all the regular issues mm-hmm. and Fearson is alluded to, like we see bits of Fearson and we find out what his powers are. But if I had, but if I had read the specials within the like correct continuity, because I think they're dated June 06. So right around the time of the previous arc mm-hmm. in in my trades they put both the these specials right after the last issue of march to war right and i i, I literally just was like well i'll read through the main issues and then i'll go back and look at the specials but the specials like if i had read that then i would have had the appropriate context when the actual character shows up again so mm-hmm. i thought it was strange that it is in a special but 
It's also weirdly a, a, a two-issue special. Yeah. <laughs> a two-parter. Normally, it would normally basically be like an annual, and it would just be one 50-page book, probably, yeah. right? Yeah. Or not, not 150, but like probably like 45 or 50, 44 or 50 maybe, maybe up to 64. I I meant a a single 50 page book not a not oh, a oh, yes, yes. page book <laughs> yeah it's like i don't even know if like the whole trade <laughs> with like six issues in it is 150 issues uh or pages rather um we do get a new uh not a new art team but we get a different art team for these specials which makes sense because uh given what we know about how labor intensive uh, tony harris's process is i can't imagine him being able to churn out uh, two full-sized issues in a month. Um, but I have to say the fill-in artists who are Chris Sprouse and uh, Carl Story inking him um, are doing a very good Tony Harris impression. Yes, I didn't like... I I, kn- I knew it was a different penciler, but after that point, I didn't really notice that much. Um, Chris Sprouse... Uh, I, th- I think it's Sprouse. Maybe some people say Spruce. No. I think it's yeah, Sprouse, it's Chris though. Sprouse, um obviously best known as an actor uh he was the third triplet zach cody and chris chris sprouse is best known to me as the artist on alan moore's uh tom strong series which is like very much like the tom strong character is a like kind of pastiche of the classic uh pulp characters like doc savage and things like that and sprouse's normal style I'm going to send you a, a like screenshot of just like a random page, but it's much more in line with kind of like, um, like Bruce Tim who does like designs right. all the animated series characters for DC, uh, or like, it's like kind of Jack Kirby ish in terms of like the proportion or blocking, uh, or like Darwin cook is another guy I would reference. So it's interesting to see him like working in, almost like an unrecognizable mold here doing like a photorealistic Tony Harris impression. Yeah, it, it really looks a lot like Tony Harris's art. Um, another interesting thing about the art team is that Mr. Mosby did the coloring. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Proud of yourself for that one, huh? I do tickle myself uh-huh. sometimes. <laughs> um, but yeah, so basically this these issues are... Like you said, essentially an origin story for Jack Fearson, who we come to find is essentially the Great Machine's arch enemy. Yeah. Well, we've already gotten some indications that he yes. is uh, is the Joker to the Great Machine's Batman. Yes, and and we get this is sort of the first time he he is more of a true supervillain, um, especially since he has actual superpowers. Yes, I think uh, I mean maybe there's some suggestion in that uh, that montage sort of sequence that we got of some other characters that have superpowers but he is the only one that we, we like know for sure was like a superpowered foe that 100 fought during the Great Machine days versus like all the, all the bizarrely powered characters who have come forward during his uh, mayoral tenure. Right, yeah, and when when he first showed up, I forget which issue it is that he sort of just pops in in a flashback, but I was like, this is notably different because it's someone who can clearly actually do something. I mean, maybe he was using mm-hmm. the the rat control device, but um, <laughs> can't wait to go off on the rat control device. <laughs> 
Um, and then, but then we also find out that in classic supervillain fashion, his origin story is very directly linked to Hundred. Yes, and this sort of gets into. I really like this concept for how he was powered up. Yes, it's something that gets looked into a lot more throughout this set of issues, where we start to, to look at sort of the origin of Hundred's powers and sort of what the ultimate overarching story behind that is going to be although i still don't know where it's going <laughs> um, but yes as you alluded to the origin of fearson's powers is that he has recorded hundred using his classic green speech <laughs> um remember when they sunk that whaling ship uh <laughs> you've lowered your head in shame but do you remember yeah <laughs> he has recorded it in an attempt to basically create his own version of it and then monetize it for mm. great success as Borat would say and then at the same time he has this African grey parrot <laughs> which he has as a pet and uh, as as a sound guy he teaches it to say things and then while he is constantly replaying the sound trying to find out what is special about it which he has deduced there's nothing special about it he thinks that there's some kind of other component to it and he's just using the speech thing as like a red herring basically mm-hmm. but then when the parrot repeats the quote which is kill the broadcast on we what we assume to be the same frequency because yeah. that's sort of alluded to earlier it unlocks whatever power mm-hmm. within jack fearson something and- something about it that was not captured in the recording when when replicated by something that actually has like vocal cords and speech triggers him. Yes, quite literally triggers him. <laughs> um, but in contrast to Hundred's green speech, he has pink speech. And rather than being able to hear what? I'm just trying to think of a good joke for what the parrot could have said that triggered Jack Pearson. And I can't come up with anything good. <laughs> the brushed off like... <laughs> Uh, here are my two, uh, my two critiques. Yeah, give me your alts. Oh, the, I thought you were no. going to give me alts for the parrot. <laughs> Brock, safe space. <laughs> Critical race theory. <laughs> uh, here are my two, uh, baseless. If I was the writer, I would have done this differently. Mm-hmm. Critiques of this. Number one, I always like the idea that when text is rendered differently when it's being lettered it means that it sounds different in some way so the suggestion of him like listening to the recording is that there's not any audible difference between when he's using his like machine voice versus when he's speaking which mm-hmm. uh i don't like and i hope when they do the movie he sounds like auto-tuned or like he's talking into a fan or something yeah the, well, the one reference we get is um january at one point when yes. he says it in her presence says that she says it makes her feelings hurt when he does that <laughs> My, and, uh, and we also we also get an, an allusion to the fact that it like hurts for him as well or like yes. feels really weird for him which i thought was interesting yes and and we've seen it take a toll like the easy benson uh incident you know we, when we see him pushing himself he's like bleeding all over the place from various orifices my other one is that I would have loved for the parrot when it does its kill the broadcast for the third one to either have been in the green voice or the pink voice. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I just feel like that, like maybe that's yeah, maybe that's a little too much. But I would have been like, no, I think that's oh sweet. If I was reading that, <laughs> that was that was how the they parent did. went sicko mode on him. <laughs> but yes, he can. So he can hear like all living creatures basically, and the so obviously this is in contrast to hundred. Um, just a classic. I'm the reverse of you guy, mm-hmm. which is I think is a good bit. Yep. Which I guess um, instantly motivates him to murder this woman. Well, who... I think I think it's again like we've seen this previously. Everyone who has powers in this world got them through some uh, like inciting incident that is either directly related to Mitchell's or uh, like connected in some way. So like uh, Connie Jarge uh, like cut herself with the fragment, and that gave her her powers. Easy Benson appears to have like had an encounter with a similar object that resulted in him getting low grade powers. And then now Fearson, like he, the, you know, the whole voice process has given him powers. Um, but it also consistently drives everyone other than hundred completely insane. <laughs> um, Much like the snowman killer. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, the, and a lot of times the idea appears to be that like they can, they can hear so much that they are like overwhelmed by it. And also, yeah, which it also Connie... happens to hundred when he first is exposed. Yes. And Connie Jarge and <laughs> it's alluded to by Fearson. And this comes up a little later in these set of issues, but that they are in some way in communication with this other dimension, mm-hmm. this other dimension from which another dimension from which the device originated and that, that they are somehow speaking to these people and again we'll get into more on this in a bit but so so yes but i guess for some reason it motivates him to kill (laughs) this person who he is yes i guess working together with and has been promised sex by (laughs) and of course we also well i think she's his girlfriend is it that was that was the sense i got maybe you might be right (laughs) um we also get an origin for his signature irish walking cloak that we've never seen before but for some reason that's an important detail that we need to call direct attention to where he got his weird robe that is a classic like this is in the movie (laughs) where it's like you'll find out how fearson got his famous cloak (laughs) and then so basically what happens is that he fearson basically calls mitchell over and tries to communicate with him and so why i don't understand the one thing that sort of confused me or that i found weird about this is why is his reaction instantly to be like oh this guy's crazy hundreds reaction like when he first yeah. uh when he first encounters him well i mean he is kind of crazy insofar as like he's like i'm just another animal in this sh- menagerie we call manhattan i've been trying to get in touch with you but i just i just feel like he is so instantly and maybe this is sort of part of the character that he is so instantly dismissive of what's his name i want to say mike posner for some reason (laughs) jack fearson yeah i want to take a pill in ibiza (sighs) that basically like like fearson says he sort of hopes that they could find out together exactly what was going on Mm -hmm. and he also alludes to the fact towards the end of i guess the second issue that he can hear the other the interdimensional creatures or something to that effect i assume you know more about this than i do thus far 
but he let me try and find exactly what he says yeah i think uh while you're digging through that it's it's just sort of part of the characterization of hundred that we've seen throughout the series that he is like he he has these powers and he has like a vested disinterest to a certain extent in their origin like he pursued it with jarge a bit but like they didn't get any answers and then it feels like since then he's been like very dismissive he has these like indications of another dimension uh but he like they are often dismissed by others and so he also seems to be very dismissive of them or or we like run into these things where it's like like for example easy benson like says he has powers but then they're like no everything he said was a lie and I'm trying to remember if Connie Jarge has any sort of interaction with him where he is similarly dismissive or if he's just uh, like never really gets to dig into what she has to say. But that is something that's fairly consistent as we move into like kind of the late stages of the books in the next chunk of readings that he he has almost like a vested disinterest or disbelief, even though he has like these crazy powers. He's also and just sort of sort a of, denial to some extent. Yeah, yeah. That, that he's like, it doesn't mean anything. And like these weird dreams that I have don't mean anything. Yeah. So it just, again, it goes back into the sort of robotic characterization where he is sort of actively refusing anything that goes beyond sort of what he is aware of because his powers are also like sort of intrinsically linked to technology and sort of like this logical order and logical thinking that it sort of makes sense that he would push away from the more supernatural elements of it but yes it what what fearson says immediately before he dies and also he defeats him by playing his voice backwards <laughs> yeah i uh, like, does that make sense <laughs> i mean it, it makes sense because vaughn says those are the rules of the how the powers work and so it makes sense i do i am kind of like how did he figure that out <laughs> like why did like, why? why did he think that would work <laughs> Playing it backwards makes them do it against you. Yeah. <laughs> so weird. Uh, it, it would be nice to get a little bit of insight into how he decided that that would be a tactic worth pursuing and then employing as his primary strategy in a life yeah, or death he, situation. He clearly, he knows, he knows what's happening. Yeah, he's, he certainly seems very confident. But, but what he says, what Fearson says just before he dies is... I know who our creators are, Mitchell. I can hear the half of the conversation you're missing. I know the angles of the angels. If you kill me now, dot, dot, dot. And then he is shot, attacked by dogs oh. and then explodes. <laughs> right. <laughs> all, all that fun stuff. Uh, yes. So that is the secret origin of uh, Mr. Jack Fearson. Uh, and I say we puff, puff, pass on by to our next volume. Let me just show you the cover for Smoke, Smoke the Trade. <laughs> Oh, Wiley's wearing a Rasta, Rasta hat. hat. Yep. Hmm. <laughs> Hundred is wearing a marijuana leaf waistcoat. January. Oh, sorry. And also, he's wearing uh, like platform shoes that also have marijuana leaves on the platforms. And January, who we will meet in this issue, is wearing an open top with stars over her nipples. So don't worry, you will not be forced to see their outlines. <laughs> Thank goodness. That's what I'm mainly objecting to is. Yes. Women should be covered at all times. Yes, yes. Smoke, smoke. A bizarre arc, <laughs> I, I yes. have to personally say. This I, is... 
my first two notes here are the weed arc question mark and then my second note is the self-immolation arc <laughs> question mark and of course we do have a family history of expertise on that matter but yeah it's like the it's the weed arc slash the war on drugs arc it's like the mandatory minimum sentencing arc yeah the 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 whole debate uh about marijuana and marijuana legalization he wants to basically use some of the goodwill the political capital that he's built up from uh like resolving the uh gas attack and sort of like the the public support that he had during that investigation and then subsequently because they were able to like apprehend the perpetrator he's like riding an all-time high in terms of his his like approval and political we're like an all-time high (laughs) (laughs) and so they're basically like well what do we want to do with this and he's like drug reform that's that's my issue of choice yes and again it's it's from a very pragmatic standpoint where it's like they're clogging the system like they're they're filling up our prisons Mm -hmm. all that stuff like and again and he so it starts with him sort of like having admitted to is it is it like a journalist that he uh, spoke yes the times yeah. he admitted that he had previously dabbled in cannabis yeah, and he steals my bit and references i did not inhale mm-hmm. yes yeah, so that is that's the political storyline and the flashback is to his like great machine days is tied very closely to that in so far as it tracks his like extremely dogged pursuit of like what seems to be a relatively low level weed dealer and and his like ultimate apprehension of that guy after going to like great lengths to track him down and then the who done it is this extremely There's weird uh yes like fire this guy posing as a firefighter to break into houses and steal stuff yes and then, but then there's other elements as well because so January has well, appeared yes. <laughs> in this arc, who is Journal's sister, um, and we find out over the course of this arc that she is secretly working with Kremlin to try and like basically get Hundred out of office mm-hmm. or ruin his reelection chances or things of that yes, nature, so that he can return to his true calling. Well, yes, Kremlin, Kremlin's purpose is to get him to return to his true calling. January just wants him out of office. Yes, Kremlin, which we yeah, we've heard from Kremlin about before. Uh, and then also, there's this woman who, and do we ever get an answer on this? I she forget. is the mother of the drug dealer that he right. uh, arrests in the flashback story. Yes, and so she basically sets herself on fire as a form of protest. Yeah, because he dies in like an incident in prison. Right. Uh, so there's a lot going on mm-hmm. in short, um, and we haven't even mentioned that. <laughs> I have a lot to say about this. Not, I don't have a lot to say. Oh, so you know where I'm going. I do know where you're going. So the the firefighter killer, <laughs> as his way, his means of relaxing after uh, after a job is to lie back. Does he light up? It no, feels like up. he must. Well, lie back, light up, and put his firefighter gas mask, like perform auto fellatio on himself with his firefighter's mask except okay he just puts it like (laughs) the suggestion is he's putting his penis into the mask filter area and it's sucking yeah 
that's not how gas masks work. <laughs> like, but it's plugged into some kind of machine. Like, yeah, like a respirator or something that is like making it function. Maybe but it's again, like a vacuum. That's not flip, how. Did he flip it to reverse? <laughs> I don't understand how there would be a physical stimulus component to what he's doing <laughs> well, it's, 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 not, it's fine if it's just like this act turns me on so hard that i come i guess <laughs> but i if this, that's if fine this, of course <laughs> I'm, I'm not here to kink shame but if the suggestion is that there's some kind of physical stimulation happening i just don't understand how that can be <laughs> yeah i like this, like the air running over him—is that what they're getting at? I I assumed that the implication was that like there's some kind of suction. Yeah, I do too. But like, of what? Like <laughs> performed by what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess <laughs> I reiterate. It's not like that is not how gas masks work. <laughs> or it's you know, it's not a gas mask. It's like a ventilator of some kind. Yeah, like it's like that. it's like a it's a firefighter like oxygen mask. Right. You're correct. <laughs> it makes no sense. Very strange. Uh, um, another like additional side. There's a lot going on in this arc. I'm starting to realize. There's another part of it where Wiley's brother, oh, what's yeah. his name, uh, Todd, Todd, yeah, is under suspicion because they know that the person who committed the these robberies and killings is a black man. Mm-hmm. And so they're basically essentially investigating every black firefighter. They're trying to get an alibi for every black firefighter, basically. And unfortunately, Todd's is that he was uh, out with a man and not his husband. Yes. And and what he and his husband do have an understanding. Do have an understanding. But I I also like I don't even really understand that. Like, this is a bad look for 100 because he married (laughs) A guy who's now having an affair. And I was well, like, yeah, he's, how will this come out to the public? Well, because because I think the fear is that not not that like the news story is like Todd Wiley innocent, <laughs> but that like if, in the process, if if his way that he clears himself is I was I was sleeping with another man then that will make its way to the press and then it will balloon not because of anything to do with the case, but because he's like the first married gay man in New York. And then it's like, oh, right. So he's kind of like a minor celebrity for that reason. Um, okay. I and the, that, and I the guess. like collapse of that marriage is newsworthy. But, but of course <laughs> we get clarity that it is not the collapse of his marriage. Yes. Very quickly. The real, real condemnation of uh, 100 here is the enlightened liberal who's actually kind of homophobic secretly. Yes, he does refer to them as your kind. Also, like, weirdly, it felt like they really ratcheted up the slurs. And again, it's we've talked about this several times before, that it's like you're putting into the mouth of annoying people mm-hmm. <laughs> to show that they're bad, but still. Yeah, well, I mean, even I, I feel like we also got a fair bit of it in the arc where he performed the marriage and frequently coming out of the mouth of Todd and or his husband. So, right. Um, there's also, there's also (laughs) as the ending sequence, (laughs) are you looking at the same thing? No, I'm not, but lay it on me. The ending of the second issue. Well, where these two firefighters are trying to like evacuate a building. Yeah. And the guy gets fucking cut in half. (laughs) And like, and a crazy old man 
blows his stomach <laughs> out with a shotgun. <laughs> he the, he's drawn so insanely. Like, he's so skinny, and he has, like, a skullet <laughs> of white hair and just obliterates this guy. Yep. Which, again, is, like, not... It's pretty gnarly. <laughs> I mean, it's brought up a little bit, I think, but at the same time. Yeah, this arc is longer for some reason than I remembered it being. I thought it was like a two or three issue joint, but it's like a no. five spot. Talk about oh, a no, joint. It's a, it's a four spot. Yeah, talk about a joint. I don't know. I don't I don't have a ton to say about this. I think the the part that most interested me is the through line of like Cleveland, the drug dealer being arrested in the past to his mother uh, in the first issue, self-immolating, and then Hundred's response when he finds out that Cleveland died in prison. I think that is a good... It's it's It, it like puts some nuance into Hundred's perspective of like, when he was the great machine, he was just trying to like stop crime, any crime, without really giving any thought to whether or not it was like a crime that needed stopping, or whether or not he agreed that it should be against the law and and the way that in this arc he uses like he bring i feel like the past is frequently coming back to haunt him in various ways but it's usually in the form of like something that the great machine did has like given someone superpowers and now they're trying to kill him or kill other people to have it come back in a way of like he did something then that as like now with a more considered opinion on the stance he wouldn't have done and finds out that because of what he did the guy died that's like a good that's a good beat i like it yes and also like there's one thing that happens that sort of i guess comes up again a little later is that like when he finds out that cleveland has been killed in prison his he is he has like a power surge mm-hmm. Which is something that happens. Uh, there's one. Other, oh, another thing that happens is he has another weird dream sequence mm-hmm. where we get a little more explicit, you know, not obviously like clear reference to anything, but we get use of like various terminology where <laughs> he envisions Connie George's dog <laughs> um, and who says, You chose to be the bridge. Uh, the bridge across the slices. You're the one who will connect the first heel to the last. And then the dog says, I only take orders from your brother. And there's also an image of the dog with one green eye and one pink eye, not like Bob Costas of the Olympics, but but just a uh, Fearson-style pink eye, Mm -hmm. suggesting some, again, I don't know where this is going. Presumably you have more (laughs) knowledge of what this will amount to, but sort of a more explicit link and we see it more in I think it's the next arc <laughs> you're raising your eyebrows <laughs> let the record show that I'm doing heavy eyebrow work <laughs> right so we, we we start to get more lore basically yeah, is the short answer that's, which... that is the long and the short of it yeah and and of course the ultimate uh like shock twist question mark at the end of this arc is that we find out that Mitchell, even to this day, uses uh, recreational marijuana for the purposes of relaxing and helping uh, to shut down the voices uh, that we hear from the technology around him. That is, a, I think that is a corny way to end the arc, but I think yes. the sequence leading up to it that shows like his moment-to-moment experience in a yes. like technologified world <laughs> um, is cool. Yes, I and I, I thought it was like sort of a lead up to some kind of break for him. 
because it's like the especially the idea that he can hear the clock ticking off individual yeah. seconds <laughs> and things like that like oh it's like this supposed to be horrifically overwhelming yeah i it is it's good insight into like when this guy gets stressed out he's not just stressed by like being the mayor he's stressed by like a constant informational overload coming from like everywhere around him. It, I guess it like kind of drives home why that like quiet room in the basement mm-hmm. uh, is like such an important space for him and why he spends so much time there. Yes. Um, he keeps his joints in a skull box. <laughs> Excuse you, that's a humidor, safe. yes. With a biometric scanner unlocked by a thumbprint. <laughs> Uh, and I, which we, I alluded to this earlier, but we get the January reveal that she's working with Kremlin and her initial sort of attempt to derail Hundred is that she's sort of like pushing him to do like an in-depth study into marijuana legalization mm-hmm. and things like that, which she does not take the bait on. Yep. She is. I, I like how she's used here uh, in terms of like, encouraging his his sort of like impulses into things that Mm -hmm. are like not like bad but like would be politically bad yes and that she is yeah just sort of like a devil on the shoulder as it were like sort of trying to enable his more sort of impulsive or Mm -hmm. she's she's kind of a good like january stand-in there where she would like she is january uh, sorry a good journal stand-in there where (laughs) she like journal would encourage him to do things that like he might not normally do for like good reasons and then we have january now encouraging him to do the things that he wants to do already to to try and bring about his downfall i like the i like the inversion uh is there anything else we need to say about this well we have bradbury's uh solo story well yes that's the next that's the next issue they're all in the same trade for me this well the title of this issue is in fact standalone classic just a real vaughn bit yeah we're we're doing title bits as i wrote we're getting uh we're getting hero's journey colon bradbury edition yes he really likes these he loves these (laughs) yeah uh i i i'm pretty sure that Bradbury is the only character who gets one of these in this series. Didn't we get one earlier in the last episode? I thought I feel like we talked about this for. Oh, I guess we get one later for Angadi. For Angadi, yeah, we Luca Agnata. Oh. Um, sorry, <laughs> don't kill the dog. Am I right? <laughs> Let me just pull it up, and I'll try and see if we. But yes, you talk about what the deal is i mean i don't have a uh, well we ton we to... get the 9-11 is the fortune teller issue is the one sort of one-off <sighs> yeah it's a one-off but i wouldn't have compared it it's not like a character piece in the same yes, way it's that not like... it's not like a life story yes yeah. yeah um and this really yeah i don't have a ton to say about it like we don't learn too much about bradbury that we didn't already know in terms of character and like i, I don't think in terms of his backstory there's no like shocking you know revelations are like i would never have expected that from from what we like already know of him the things that it really fleshes out are like his relationship with hundred and how he Mm -hmm. views his relationship with hundred especially in like the final three pages where so this the framing device is this like german (laughs) tourist who of course we will learn is in fact like a special agent approaches him 
and then holds him at gunpoint. And Bradbury says, don't do it because like Mitchell always has like people on me or like he, he knew he saw you. And like, if you kill me, then like this strike team is going to come and nail you, which the guy believes. And then Bradbury is like, you're so stupid. <laughs> and then, so he rips his hair out or no, he, oh, he, smashes no, he, yeah, he smashes his bottle. On I his could head. not figure out what was happening. He bottles like, him. Does he just wrap his hair, rip his hair out? <laughs> that um, would be crazy. But yes, so yes, the, the general idea is we see basically that Bradbury has these abandonment issues. Uh, first, his father leaves him, and then his wife slash high school sweetheart yeah. leaves him because she wants to be a stripper. And then he sort of fails. He leaves this member of his unit when he is, I guess this is the Gulf War probably, yeah. leaves this member of his unit that is dead, basically. So when everything happens with Mitchell, he sort of latches on. Is, and is very protective. Yeah. And we like we see yeah, he he feels like this great he he really believes in Hundred's sort of like vision and way of seeing things and feels like an intense loyalty to him that it like I don't think we're meant to believe that Hundred even like clocks, let alone reciprocates. Like I don't think he necessarily realizes how much Bradbury like how how central he is to like Bradbury's raison d'être. Yes. And also like it feels like and we sort of see this the because Bradbury at the end of the issue basically says like no one's looking out for me and so like I understand I need to do it for myself. Mm-hmm. And we see that a few times where he sort of thinks that like 100 cares about him less than he actually does. Like he he thinks that hundred sees it more as like a like employer employer employee yeah. yeah relationship but where it, whereas it is more of a friendship and hundred does rely more on him than he probably thinks mm-hmm. uh, which is fun I like I like Bradbury a yeah, lot yeah I actually. like Bradbury too shall we move on to Power Down yes my favorite <laughs> uh, I think of the arcs in this storyline I think so as well it's very interesting. Um, oh, th- this is also where I wrote a lot of gay slurs in this arc. I'll have you know that Slate says Ex Machina is a comic for grown-ups. And that is the <laughs> pull quote on the front cover. <laughs> oh, Power cool. down. <laughs> Got him. Uh, and uh, yes, this is when we get the 9-11 sequence more so. Yes. Uh, where it starts with him. He is like going to the tower and then gets attacked by a fighter jet who thinks that he is the one who has like flown the first plane to the tower. Yes. Uh, my lord, is that uh... Yes, you're holding up a <laughs> It says the word legal. What it does. It... And they have like in the same way that they do the like chapter titles in the story pages, they mm-hmm. have the like a thing for the credits and legal. <laughs> I thought it was yeah, funny. legal too. Anyways, yes, anytime <laughs> they show uh note to self cut that. Anytime they show clips of him on 9-11 it tends to be pretty cool yes including yeah i you know the the impulse to lead here is an interesting uh sort of character moment but the is there a flashback uh storyline running through this one i don't recall one well it's him on 9-11 is for the most part the storyline like it opens with the fighter jet and that's the end of this arc where we see him flying the plane right but the the central story is that a man arrives from another dimension 
and his, another dimension <laughs> and his arrival causes a citywide power outage that also dampens hundreds powers for the duration yes a, a statewide power outage, a really, statewide power outage um yes which is of course a reference to the 2003 blackout that actually happened mm-hmm. to which i said oh right this blackout <laughs> was it because i thought that one was a brownout i don't know what what's the difference i don't know <laughs> Just that some. <laughs> <laughs> You're a bit of a brownout. Wow. Uh, I just know that sometimes there's blackouts and sometimes there's brownouts. And my recollection of that one was that it was a brownout. But a brownout is an intentional uh, oh, so intentional drop in voltage mm. used for load reduction in an emergency. I'm gonna look up the 2003 blackout. You talk about this Zeller, not Cody, <laughs> not Cody, not Tyler, even. Is there, there's a third Zeller, isn't there? I believe there is a third one, yes. Let me, I'll pull up that now, information as well. are the Zellers the one where one of them retired to become a Marine, or is that the Plumleys? Oh, I don't know. I know there, there's three Plumleys. I'm pretty sure Mason Plumley retired from professional basketball to become... No, Mason Plumley is on the Pistons. Okay. Mason Plumley is still Miles a good player. Miles Plumley then, maybe, is the one who Quite possibly, yes. retired from professional basketball to become the tallest person ever to graduate from Ranger School. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, that is wild. which we love. Yes, Zeller. No, Miles. Miles Plumley is was most recently with the Perth Wildcats oh. and won the NBL championship. Okay, who's the uh, other? Plumlee? Of course, the third Zeller. Let's let's get things in order here. The third Zeller brother is Luke Zeller, who is oh he's older than the other ones. He must not have ever been in the league. No, it looks like he played sixteen games for Phoenix in twenty thirteen. An average 1.2 points per game. But yeah, he was like a G League guy for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Plumleys, there's Mason and Miles and Marshall. That's Marshall, right. that's right. That makes sense. <laughs> uh, is an American for- performer, professional basketball player, and is an active duty United States Army Ranger qualified infantry officer. <laughs> uh, yes. So Heller is who we're talking about, arrives out of nowhere. Wait, is his name actually Heller? Oh, wait. Or Zeller? What I, oh, is it Zeller? He said Heller, like Marielle. Oh, hold on. What's this guy's name? <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we went on that tangent. Yes. Just so we could have Seriously. all the incorrect So that I could forget what the character's name was. Yes, uh, Augustin Zeller. Yes, Augustin Zeller. Yes, Zeller arrives. He is from another dimension, another dimension. He's using lots of, you know, we're back to the brains, B-R-A-N-E, and the brain trust. He's saying lots of things. He's got cables going into his head. He's got like a weird suit that uh, grants him a number of abilities, several of which he's not in control of, seemingly. Uh, and of course, his... Uh, his triggering moment is when he sees the sole standing World Trade Center tower and freaks out, not because it's there, but because the other one is missing. He, of course, comes from an Earth where 9-11 did not happen. And it is his... Is it his... No, it's not his freakout that causes the blackout. It's his arrival. No, it's his suit. Because his suit... I guess the idea is that it has some kind of like residual time energy basically <laughs> but it's also when he he freaks out upon seeing the tower so it is when he his... freaks out that it causes the black because it looks like the power yes. is already out in that panel like everything's oh, already dark there 
think so. But the streetlights sure. are on in the in like the previous page. So yeah. But so it is, yes. it is his freakout his, that causes the blackout. We can. Uh, his suit has like residual time electricity, and when he freaks out, it I guess discharges and causes this massive blackout. And it is. It's a direct reference to the 2003 Northeast blackout because it gives the exact date of August 14th, which is when that blackout took place. Wow, August and was... in August, huh? Wow, so true. <laughs> uh, and which tap occurred for two days in the Northeast in and in Ontario, where <laughs> we live. Uh, caused by a software bug oh interesting um yes and we of course also learn that 100 has had his powers dampened i'm going to send you an image and i want you to let me know if you think that this panel is an homage to that image to which image the uh, where he reveals that he uh he says i'm free yeah i think that's what he says no where he says they can't hear me oh at the end of issue 26 Take a look. Can't wait for this picture to show up. I'm just going to vamp a little. Okay, August and Zell, he's kind of like an old guy. He's got a weird beard. <laughs> uh, for a while, a I beard. thought he might be... I, I, there was one point where it seemed like I was like, oh, it's going to be revealed that he is alternate universe Mitchell 100. <laughs> Not that that really would have made sense. And oh, the yes, I know what you're talking about. The classic Green Lantern where he has all the rings. Yes. Um... <laughs> I'm. <laughs> I mean, in what it's sense not would it be an homage? <laughs> oh, it's very, it's very similar. I just don't know why it would be that. Similar. I mean, it's a very iconic cover, but <laughs> it just seems too close to not be a reference. But also, I don't understand why <laughs> they would be making that reference. Right. Another. Um flashback thing that happens is it flashes back to mitchell and his mom during the 1977 new york blackout as well yeah there's a, there's a running undercurrent uh that is not present in new york uh but is present in the story about mitchell's like or mitchell's mom's faith in how people are going to behave during the blackout and it's it's stemming from their experience during uh, this earlier blackout where people looted and she was like, it's because of that crook right. in office. And so she's like, now yeah, there's so a hero in that... office, so they're going to behave. Yes, correct. But the more pressing or Mitchell related storyline is that Zeller, he somehow, he accesses the internet and essentially just downloads, <laughs> downloads all of the information. And then I guess realizes that Mitchell is the one who has received these powers and so he takes Kremlin and Mitchell's mother hostage in order to draw him to the location. And I guess, so basically, it's a, it's a sort of similar to the Fearsome thing where Zeller is sort of trying to give him information about what's going on. Yes. And he is. I, I really like this, this whole sequence where he tries to open uh, several web pages that he's not able to access because they don't exist. Then says, "Tell me they at least have Wikipedia, which they do have." And then he says to download the page on the World Trade Center plus all references and external links, and then gets like gets them like matrixed into his brain. <laughs> yes, you see, a, there's a full page spread where he's he's seeing 
the World Trade Center and a lot of Mitchell Hundred yeah. stuff. And and like then in the aftermath, like sheds a tear for the tragedy of the life of Mitchell Hundred, which I think is uh, a good good character. Zeller is like a, a cool character. <laughs> yes, I'm sort of sad. I, I mean, I don't tell me if we see more of him, but that we only sort of get this quick little thing and that he mostly, like most of it is just him calling out in vain yeah <laughs> trying well, to it's a, impart his information yeah, it's exactly what we were talking about in the last issue with like hundreds like denialism of anything related to the like interdimensional aspect of his powers that he has a guy who is like standing in front of him and like on his side so to speak and wants to help him and he's just like this guy must be crazy and it's sequel yes. this guy must be crazy too is that like the gods that's right <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and then Zeller finds a Coke bottle and it actually revolutionizes his society. Haven't seen it. What? You haven't seen The Gods Must Be Crazy? <gasps> Why is that? It's a, a great movie. Surprise <laughs> I don't know. It's a great There's movie. Lots of great movies recommend, I haven't seen. recommend watching The Gods Must Be Crazy. It's very funny. It's about a guy who finds a Coke bottle and it revolutionizes his society. Sure. Bradbury beats up some looters yeah, also. Of course. It's like it feels like during these arcs there are like people who are like sort of teased as if they're going to be like the side characters to this arc and then the the resolution of their plotline is just like a character we know shows up and dis- and dispatches them in one page. Yes. So Zeller, yeah, once Zeller gets the information, he goes to use Kremlin as basically his like link to get in touch with 100 and succeeds and also his mom is there did i i'm trying to remember did he send his mom to be with him like with with kremlin or she was there coincidentally and then he gets there and is like what the yeah i don't think we get the what the but there there's a moment earlier on in the issue when he's visiting his mom when it's like why are you and kremlin hanging out <laughs> Yes, and then there's one point where he says, help your boyfriend, mom. Yes. Uh, but yes, yeah, so essentially, uh, Zeller is giving these very cryptic warnings. What? So I'll give my interpretation of the situation, since you probably know more. It seems as though he is alluding to some kind of alien invasion. He says he's talking about your other neighbors, not Mexicans or Canadians, <laughs> and that there are lands that they have yet to discover out there. So it sounds like he's alluding to some kind of alien or like mutant or mole people invasion. (laughs) And he also says that he's one of the good guys and the bad guys are the ones that gave Mitchell his powers. So again, we're uh, again alluding to the origin of his powers and where exactly this interdimensional object came from. But naturally, we don't get our proper answers before basically his timer runs out and he seems to teleport back to his own universe indeed uh cleanly resolving that whole issue and uh restoring both the power and uh mitchell's powers and then we have january of course breaking into his safe to find out what he keeps uh in that lockbox we saw back in the first issue where he put the blackmail folder from the governor's office from dear old trip <laughs> we learned that Actually. his Save combination is nine eleven zero one, which that's very funny. It, it that is very funny. <laughs> uh, yes, and then and the other reveal, sort of towards the end, is that 
there is an Augustine Zeller who yes. really works for Weta. Yes. <laughs> who did like, I Well, I that's, think they... that's the bit is supposed to be like, aha, I knew it. Like special effects. Like right. he was duping me. And then they were like, no, he was in New Zealand all day. <laughs> yes. It's just weird to specifically invoke Weta who like did the effects for Lord of the Rings yeah, well, and I worked on the Matrix movies. They're, uh, like, I, I, I think it's uh, fair to say that around that point, they would have been oh, like definitely. the instantly recognizable. They're like ILM basically in terms of like yes. name recognizability for an effects the studio. Two notable effects houses, yeah. yes. Uh, and then we get, it's it's a really good sequence actually, this last sequence where we go back to 9-11, he's flying around with his like bleeding profusely. Yes. Saying like, basically say he's talking to bradbury saying goodbye yeah and being very vague about it and he's saying that's <laughs> it's it's such a good secret <laughs> I, i'm basically just reading the last the, panels, the last but... the last like the two-page spread uh to close this storyline off is amazing yes the two pages are where like so basically he is just alluding to the fact that like he he can like barely think clearly yeah and then he says, my powers are already maxed out, so I don't think I'll be able to guide this thing all the way back to JFK. Bradbury says, guide what? He says, I have to hang up now, Bradbury. <laughs> page turn. <laughs> and then page turn, I'm coming in for a landing, and it's him flying like 10 feet above the street with, yeah, the, with the bringing, jet. Bringing uh, the jet in for the landing on the highway. Uh, he's like, and his eyes are glowing green. Uh, he's spraying blood everywhere. <laughs> yeah. And we've seen that he's trying to both like control the jet and also like clear the highway the cars, so that he can yeah. land it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's insane. Uh, it's like, usually when people are like, this is like a, a blood pounding comic that like, I, I don't usually think of comics as being able to achieve like excitement and tension in the same way as like TV or movies do, because as much as they're visual, like they're, they're, you know, they're different mediums, but this is certainly like the, the page turn to see the plane that close to the street level with like the one tower in the background behind him smoking and like, yeah. And the blood spewing everywhere. It's an extremely effective sequence. Yes. And again, like it's not really, to do with anything it's just like, insanely cool <laughs> yeah like literally he was just like well i don't really have an ending i guess i'll show this finally well it's yeah it's it's coming out of uh the his old fbi friend tells him nobody expects you to save the world and then we get that sequence that is really right. kind of the like here's the moment when he did it like he landed the plane safely and saved the other tower and you know that that expectation on himself to have been able to do more on the day of 9-11 and like how that carries through to his expectation for what he should be able to do as mayor yeah i think i think in an arc that is about power in many ways and like his loss of his own powers and his his kind of through line philosophy um about how much more power he wields as mayor than he did as a superhero it's, it makes for, like, a good image to, like, remind you what actually he was capable of doing as the great machine. Yeah. And it's, like, a classic superhero thing where it's, like, I should have been able to save everyone. Yep. He goes full Schindler. Sure. <laughs> haven't seen it. You haven't seen Schindler's List? Okay, I'm sorry. There's There are many <laughs> classic one... movies... <laughs> That one is more I... shocking to me than The Gods Must, <laughs> must Be Crazy, I'll admit. <laughs> oh, it is? Yeah. The list of, like, even if you just exclude, like, the last five years, the number of classic movies 
that I have not seen would be probably surprising to you and to most people. Uh, there's a lot, but I'll get to them eventually. Much like we will eventually get to this arc, Excathedra. <laughs> good, uh, good name. Yes, I had to look it up. It basically means like by the authority of the Pope, <laughs> but it also sounds like the name of the book. Yes, another Latin word. <laughs> has X. Yeah, has X, uh, but no X is on the cover. At least not of the cover I'm looking at. Wow, my theory is blown. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is like a cool. I like the Pope stuff. I hate the uh, like Russian spy <laughs> stuff. Right. So the the essential conceit is that the Pope. Oh, the Pope stuff is actually really good. Now that I'm thinking about it, uh, the Pope has called Mayor Hundred in for an audience. Uh, we get the full context of that later. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, uh, these Russians, are they mobsters or are they government agents? I think they're supposed supposed to be government agents. Yes, there's a reference to Putin, I remember, at the end. (laughs) They have received this Japanese technology, (sighs) this Japanese mind control technology. It's dumb. That they hope (laughs) will allow them to force 100 to kill the Pope. Yes, And, and the rationale for that is... So it controls the chips inside the rat's brain, and we already know that there is a chip inside. Like Mitchell Hundred basically is one giant like chip for a brain, so it will work. <laughs> Which I don't, I don't like this conceit at all, and how like irrelevant it is to most of the storyline also turns me off. It just is very dumb. <laughs> Yes, to some extent, certainly. Um, another thing is, I feel like the covers start to get a little more interesting at this point. So, like the so the cover to issue thirty, Kremlin painting a portrait of Mitchell, <laughs> and like he's just he's just painted the little gear yes. icon onto his tie. Yeah. And then issue thirty one is truly great, where it's the mobster guy in like a hooded cloak holding the classic marionette strings, which is controlling a gorilla no, holding the helmet. that's Fearson, isn't it? Oh, is it? Yeah, it is. It is. You're right. You're right. His right. eyes are glowing, etc. Et You're right. It's pink, etc. But anyways, he's <laughs> point is he's controlling a gorilla holding the helmet. Yeah. Which is just a great bit. We love, we a, love a marionette gorilla. <laughs> sure. Yes, we get also a lot of the boxing priest again. <laughs> <laughs> which i well, again yeah. anytime i love anytime a religion priest. comes into play they're gonna box yes early on as well okay so we see like his basically his like hall of trophies um that he keeps at the mansion apparently <laughs> this feels kind of like out of sync to a degree with the like career of the great machine as presented like, I've always felt up to this point, like, before 9-11 and barring, like, a couple of his run-ins with Fearson, all of his, like, superheroic stuff is, like, kind of a joke at best and, like, pathetic and harmful at worst. So the idea of him having, like, all these mementos of his adventures seems, like, kind of incongruous to me where it's either like does he really want to remember that especially now that like his his kind of perspective on his whole career as the great machine has changed a fair bit versus also like 
did he actually fight someone who used robots? <laughs> like that doesn't seem like the kind of thing he like I'm, I'm talking about on like page four or five or something that Candy yes. is looking at this display case with these robots and a giant mounted fish. I'm like, yeah, and like, a, what is this? A, a sort of a zombie face in a tricorn hat. <laughs> yeah, like, it's well, it's like a it's like a mask that seems to indicate some sort of like Scooby Doo esque caper that yes. he was on. Yes, exactly. But there's sometimes sometimes it seems like oh, like he was just like busting low level drug dealers and everyone hated him. Yeah, and then sometimes it's like he was a superhero. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just a little. Uh, incongruous as i've said and like i i wish he'd i wish he'd pick a lane as far as like the great machine stuff goes and i don't know maybe it's just this scene because i feel more like before that it it was consistent in terms of like other than jack mm-hmm. fearson and 9-11 the people that he fought were either like pretty inconsequential from a crime perspective or like had some sort of delusion that made them think that they were like a super villain but actually they weren't like i think yes. it might even and he, be in and this he was one. battered his job for the yes. most part i think it's in this storyline or maybe one of the last ones like we saw the vampire lady that we, he fought in the montage and then when he talks about her he's just like yeah she was like mentally ill and wore fake teeth and like liked to bite people (laughs) yes exactly so once we get to italy uh we find out that bradbury speaks italian incredible bit (laughs) (laughs) very funny but the more important thing is the idea that the this priest this nigerian priest who is like the chief astronomer basically for the vatican has invited uh mitchell here because he believes that he might be the Antichrist because of, I guess, because of his powers and because he is, like, mildly liberal. (laughs) Yes. Uh, The rationale he gives is that some of, like, you could apply some of the prophecies described in Revelations to Mitchell, and also he has, like, worked against some faith-based initiatives. Yes. And it's, like, his, (laughs) his, like... His argument for him being the age guys is pretty pretty light, I will say, such as his stance on stem cells and his pro and his <laughs> pro uh, choice views. Like, it's not like he is like the most left wing man in America, yeah, or or even that. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's it is it is funny that he'd be like. I think you're the Antichrist because could you tell me what you think about stem cells? Yeah. <laughs> then I'll know like, for sure. Fairly mainstream liberal views mm-hmm. that would deviate from the Roman Catholic Church. Yes. And and yeah, it really only like he's only set apart because uh, of his powers and otherwise is like a, a fairly standard, like slightly left leaning centrist. Right. Exactly. We get this weird scene well, we, where the guys. I think I think all of his. Oh wait, wait, the prostitute. I'm looking at a different one. I was gonna say I think all of his um, flashbacks in this one are related to religion in some way. Where like in the first issue, he is being Santa. <laughs> in the <laughs> in the second, very religious. Yes, very religious. In the second one, he like busts in on these two guys doing some sort of occult ritual because they're live streaming themselves killing animals and Jack Fearson is going to become involved. In the third one, yes. he tr- it's Santeria, the not the Sublime song. 
I'm not familiar. The actual practice. You don't know Saint. You don't practice Santeria. That's from the song. I'm busy practicing diarrhea. <laughs> Note to self: keep that in. <laughs> Um, anyways, and then he goes in the third issue and tries to apprehend this guy who is wanted, it seems like, on a statutory rape charge and is, <laughs> like, has sanctuary with this, like, kendo school. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and, like, defeats their leader, but then is chased off. And then, so it's the fourth issue you're talking about? The, oh, oh, it opens with this guy, uh this right the russian spy it doesn't open with him but uh, yes the russian spy <sighs> i don't like the stuff with the russians <laughs> no i don't really either like the idea is essentially that if yes the idea that an assassination attempt could fail but if you make someone into an assassin then it doesn't really matter if they succeed or not because they are like permanently tainted in this way yes. but it also for some reason has to happen at the same time with him being with a prostitute and who he is planning to torture and kill. Yeah. Uh, a bit <laughs> the game of Thrones school of uh, storytelling there. Certainly. Yes. He is like simultaneously like a weird sadist, like to an extent that we didn't really see before. And then also in this issue, we get another dream sequence. Another very weird dream where it's just him being haunted by all of his former foes and journal, like it's journal and Connie George and easy Benson and Fearson. <laughs> And Easy Benson and all and all the rest, the whole crew. Yes, and then but then we get into the main scene, which is his audience with the Pope, where the Russian spies start to take control of him. Yes, and uh, and it is revealed that uh, <laughs> the priest who originally called for him to be invited no longer thinks he's the Antichrist, but now thinks that the Pope is performing an exorcism. <laughs> yes, which he is in some in ways. some ways he is. Yes. But yes, he so so the Russian tries to brain control or mind control uh, Hundred so that he will assassinate the Pope, and Hundred is like more resilient to that than anticipated, and the Pope sort of like coaches him through uh, resisting that at the like risk to his own self, but also also interpreting it as like a spiritual crisis rather than you know. A, a mind control <laughs> joystick yes it's also and also oh it's so gross he rips so mitchell rips his own face open and we get a good look oh, at yeah, like the, the, circuitry the circuitry beneath his skin which is really gnarly but yes and, and i mean like as we sort of get to at the end of this arc like it it is or it can be at least be interpreted in some way as like sort of a religious experience as well and we sort of see or the Pope sees that Mitchell doesn't really fully believe that this was entirely just a a, a, a glitch in his programming, right? And, and that there could have been some sort of supernatural element to yes. it. He he has this. Uh... <laughs> uh, I did forgot. you get to? Did I you forgot. just open the splash page? I, I did, and I forgot. God, as even I just though, did. even though I had already been thinking about all my thoughts about this, but yes, he he has this This is a good idea i love it so previously in the issue he's been asked about his belief in god and he says he believes in spinoza's god aka like the engineer in the like laws of physics and like the the like scientific force that like drives the engine of life basically and so now he's with the pope and he 
has this vision where two angels that are also like kind of bionic fly him to have a face-to-face encounter with god who (laughs) is carved (laughs) from marble his nose is the chrysler building (laughs) he's wearing the statue of liberty's crown um his fingers are the statue of liberty's torch torch like yes times five those lions are from like like a museum or moma or something yeah something he he <laughs> it's Deco God. Is, or the public uh, library. Yeah, the public library. <laughs> yes, it is Deco God. It is Deco God. Um, of course, any incorporation of the Chrysler building is instantly going to call our old friend Deco to mind. I love it. <laughs> yes. And the and God speaks to him in indiscernible glyphs. In in like the glyphs that were on his uh bomb thing that turned him into the great machine. Right. Um, and after this encounter, he basically manages to get things under control. Yeah, sends Bradbury to uh, to go and kill the Russian him. spy. Comrade Putin Who? says, we never find out what Comrade Putin had to say. It's true. So the guy takes a cyanide pill, and then we find out at the end of this issue where Mitchell meets with the Pope again. And the Pope asks, what did God say to you when you had this whatever vision? Incredible, like, second act climax here. (laughs) Yes, a fantastic last page here at the conclusion of this arc where his response is that what did God tell you is that I'm going to be president of the United States. (laughs) It's it's just very good. good. (laughs) It is very good. It's undeniably very good. Yeah, again mixed mixed feelings on this arc love all the pope stuff hate all the russian stuff uh but as a yeah like i said i feel like march to war is kind of the first act climax and then this storyline is the second act climax and as a like runway into the last uh, three storylines having him have a vision of god tell him that he's going to be president uh is extremely good yeah i i mostly agree with you i really like the last issue where which is the face tearing and his vision and all that mm-hmm. stuff. The rest of it is, I find it somewhat interesting, but the, the spy stuff is a little bit half-baked and doesn't really amount to much ultimately. And there, it's there's a lot of sort of like, it, it starts to feel more like the flashbacks and you sort of, you can tie them together in terms of that sort of religious angle, definitely. But it starts to feel a little bit like the flashbacks are just like, I'm going to throw this in for a change <laughs> of pace and then we're going to get perhaps not tired, but just, just less relevant to the main story. Whereas it felt like in the past, they were usually more sort of thematically cohesive with what was going on in the book a little more. Yeah. I, I, Whereas now it's mostly like, they feel like mood setters almost. I do think for this arc, the religion tie in is really the, I mean, not the Santa Claus one so much, but <laughs> like the yeah the religious aspect of it i think does tie in and i don't think it's meant to be like thematically for the whole storyline or even the whole issue but just to yeah i think i think you're right that they have like a thematic general connection but the purpose is more to sort of like set the table tone wise and like make a good lead into uh whatever is happening like right at the start of the issue yeah and we didn't mention the last uh flashback which is He's saving a guy who is trying to jump off a building. Yes, he ran for city council and then uh, learned the hard way that uh, oppression of atheism is the last truly acceptable uh, form of hatred. So true. 
So, so true. Uh, that so poor man. It, it, this is a funny sequence, though, that he has already been saved once by <laughs> yes. 100 and told him that he slipped, and then he catches him again trying to jump <laughs> off the clock tower. He explains that he's killing himself because his political career is in shambles, and then flicks his cigarette into his eye and tries to jump off the clock tower again. <laughs> <laughs> it's very good. Uh, it is a, it is a funny little sequence. Uh, anyways, yes, but there's just there's just one more issue, yes. which is titled "World's Finest." Good stuff. Uh, which is a Commissioner and Gotti solo issue. Mm-hmm. I I will say I wasn't asking for this, but I do like it. Yes, I I really like Commissioner and Gotti as a character. Like she has a lot more sort of stretch because it a lot like so Wiley, for example, like he provides an opposing viewpoint, but ultimately he kind of has to fall in line because he is Mitchell's direct subordinate. Yeah. Whereas Angadi is more sort of actively combative. Yeah, towards she has him a little more is... latitude to be a, like a proper antagonist. Right. Exactly. While still, you know, being on his side right. yeah. in many respects, but yes, it's, so it starts with the framing device that she is getting a divorce because of the strain of her relationship. And then we basically just sort of get a bit of a, look back through her her career mm-hmm. it goes starts in her childhood and then she's always wanted to be a cop she met her husband writing like a kind of garbage jaywalking ticket to get his contact info question mark she kills a bunch of bank robbers <laughs> yeah does the needful in the line of duty except also she's off duty um and then eventually becomes the police commissioner and sort of gives a very specific focus to uh capturing the great machine and then gets mad at her husband mm-hmm. who is cheating on her. Mm-hmm. Oh, something I didn't notice before is that there there are these cats on the roof. Oh, wait. It comes in later. Where, yes, there are cats on the roof, who, which ends up being Fearson, who shows up. <laughs> and then, basically, as, as Angadi puts it, you're all children. It is the panel of her standing with her hands on her hips while he hauls Fearson away, screaming, <laughs> ha ha ha, we, is hilarious. <laughs> yes. Basically, like, sort of realizing how ridiculous this whole thing is, which I think is the, the better way, we talked about this a little bit ago, to frame the Great Machine <laughs> arc, where it's like, in some respects, he's a superhero, but it's also like this whole thing is so ridiculous because <laughs> we're in a realish world. Yeah. Anyway, so basically, she fights with her husband. Yeah, their their marriage is saved by nine eleven, basically, but uh, not permanently. Yes, that's yes. We 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 knew that already that her husband was in the other tower yes. and he saved her her husband, mm-hmm. but. Fortunately, it was not to last. I thought I, when it starts, she's like standing on the edge of the roof. And I was like, is she going to kill herself? <laughs> but she's it, not. Is, it is deeply grim. But no, the surprise that she tried to prepare for him as he <laughs> flew back from uh, from Italy is that she has a like gear signal <laughs> on the roof of City Hall? Question mark. No, on the roof of one police plaza. She tried, yeah, she basically tried to shine his, like, gear insignia into the sky, but it doesn't work and he doesn't see it. Right. Which, is is that a metaphor? It got lost in the clouds? Like, <sighs> I, I don't know. I guess kind of kind the idea of. that things are, things are different, but they're the same and everything's always cloudy. With a chance something of Something like balls. that. Certainly. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> like you said, like, this isn't really something I don't I think anyone was asking for. But I do, I like the commission. It's nice to sort of see her, her come up. And it's fun. Yep. 
So our biggest uh, chunk of issues here for uh, for Ex Machina, uh, bringing us into the home stretch. Thoughts? Um, I I I liked it. Like when I was reading these, I was sort of just like, and you know, we we have somehow found a way to talk for a long time about them. <laughs> but when I was reading, them, I was just like, yeah, like these are good. Like it's it's um it's not definitely not quite the level of the Ultimate X Men thing, but it's just sort of like. Yep, like we're in the thick of things. There's a comic. There are some story arcs. We're reading them. <laughs> They're good, <laughs> and that's that. Would you Would you say it f- uh, compares favorably or uh, unfavorably with sort of the similar uh, stretch of Y, where like kind of the middle to late middle area? Um, we're in yeah. I mean, volumes y- four to seven here, which for Y. Oh, I tried to look at my shelf, then I was like, no, I have the deluxe ones. I think that is safe word to Kimono Dragons, maybe, or Paper Dolls. I think the thing with why is it's a little more serialized. Um, the, the overarching plot tends to be a little more of a thing in why. Whereas with this, like, I mean, really, we're just starting to get hints of what I presume will be a a more significant focus in the later issues with like the origin of his powers and this alternate dimension and whatever threat is coming to him. So it's a little less like cohesive or it feels a little less like a, a well-rounded book in that regard because it's usually more arc focused. Whereas like with why it's like the story is continuing and we're in this location now. (laughs) Right. A little less episodic. Yes, the plots are very directly episodic right. in Ex Machina, but I I like the plots. Like I particularly liked um, I liked March to War and I liked Power Down. Smoke, smoke is <laughs> probably one of my less favorite for the most part. Well, maybe off the grid or something like that. But but overall, I liked them. I liked the solo issues. I liked the specials. Like it's good. Cheers. Um, yeah, I think I I sort of generally agree i think vaughn uh always starts well always ends well the middle kind of has some peaks and valleys and certainly i think that's true here uh with yeah i, I pretty much agree like march to war is good power down might be my favorite arc i'll have to i haven't reread the last uh, three trades yet which we will be doing next episode uh so we'll see we'll see if that changes uh, that evaluation but power down i really like a lot and then, yeah, Smoke Smoke and Ex-Cathedra both have, like, things I really like and things I really do not care for. <laughs> yeah, I think it's I think it's just because so much of his talent is sort of in the, the overarching story elements. And it's like, there's only so much overarching story you can have. And so usually the beginning, like the table setting and the ending, which has the payoff to the table setting, tend to be... Right. I, I think... Yeah, I think some of it is just that, like, as much as he is a guy who, like, benefited from trade sales and I think is kind of, like, thought of as, like, a great, like, read the trades writer, that he wasn't necessarily, like, writing for the trade, or at least he always says he wasn't writing for the trade, and that as much as possible, like, he was constructing issues to get people to come back next month and buy the next issue – and so I think when you're doing that, like when you're prioritizing the month to month stuff, there's just not much room because you can't really afford to like take your time with some of the stuff. Like you you sort of need to keep it 
keep it moving and keep it interesting and exciting. So stuff like what we talked about with like the the level of interaction between hundred and journal, like at the way the way he paces his book, he might have had like might have been able to do that if this was like an eighty issue series and and he had like a lot more room for issues that he could spend like almost purely on characterization. But for like a fifty issue book, uh and one where his primary focus is like as we've talked about before like i want to end on like a really solid like sort of cliffhanger something that'll keep the people coming back while also telling this like individual story arc that i'm working on while also like contributing to the greater uh overarching storyline of the series it's just hard it's hard to balance all three of those things uh and and yeah, it, it makes sense that when you read it all kind of like binged as we're doing, that some of the stuff conveys and some of it doesn't uh, in like a month to month way. Because I think like when we miss out on the month to month experience, a character like Journal, even though she doesn't have a lot of page time, she's still like a central character to the story. And so when you go a month between issues, and you see her back that it, she doesn't feel as absent you're like ah yes this familiar face and you have like that time in between you sort of fill in the gaps of her character yourself instead of like reading eight months of story in like an hour and you're like she's not really in it that much but when it's spread out over eight months you're like she's in it more than most characters and and yeah it, it just it, you can sort of fill in the blanks in a way that's hard to do when yeah you're, you're almost it. filling it in your head to some extent yeah I, I'd be really interested to, I guess, well, again, we cut Pride of Baghdad out of our uh, our lineup, but I would like, I was thinking I'd like to see his version of, like, the sculptor, mm-hmm. where it's, like, it's long form, but it's one story, uh, it's a little smaller in scope, so it can really, like, dig into characterization and, like, relationships a lot more. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, come to think of it, I literally would just want to see Brian K. Vaughn write, like, his interpretation of the sculptor. <laughs> because, like, that seems like, uh, and it almost reminds me of this book, in a way, where it's like, it's a New York story, it's about a guy with powers, and, like, they have applications in different ways. Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting. Yep. Yeah, Pride of Baghdad is a lot shorter, I believe, than... Yeah, uh, it's only, like, one, it's under 200 it's, pages, Yeah, it's like, right? yeah, it's pretty short comparatively and i think it's the only original graphic novel he's ever done going through the going through my mind palace i think that is true but i think you'll get something a little bit closer to what you're looking for in those regards when we do the private eye which is like a 12 issue maxi series that is very self-contained yeah much much shorter much more focused yeah i i mean like i mean i i don't think paper girls like it has like some sort of action-y sci-fi-ish elements, right? Yeah. Paper Paper Girls, yeah. I would say, is closer to, like, Ex Machina than it is to uh, The Private Eye. Right. Yeah, I, 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 I'd love to see him write some slice not, of not life that, stuff. Yeah, and I should say, not that The Private Eye is not, like, action-y sci-fi Genre. stuff. It very much yeah. is, like... Well, we'll talk about it when we get there. It's fast-paced, though, for sure. Yeah, I'd, I'd really like to see him write slice of life stuff because i think like he just writes like conversations really well and he can and like being able to develop themes and build a relationship which he does to a lot of in a lot of ways in why but like again it it gets sidelined because the book has to have a plot whereas like 
I'd like to see him do something that's just all that mm-hmm. and focuses on the relationship. Mm-hmm. And we'll get to see a bit more, uh, not not of like a slice of life book, but you know, we've talked about, you know, maybe if this was an 80 issue book or whatever, it, maybe if he had more room, like Saga is at issue 54 and is he's, I think he said is less than half done. So, you know, we'll see, we'll see as we go through the, the first half or just under half of Saga, um, how, how that holds true or doesn't hold true. Right. Too true, mon frere. Uh, I didn't look up any sales, but I think he's pretty much steady at this point. Uh, so I didn't feel compelled to awards. We talked at the beginning, no nominations for this stretch of issues for him, for the book, no wins since 2005. Sounds like me. They're in the. <laughs> you peaked at ten, huh? <laughs> ten is there. You, there you have it. The ten fifteen club. But yeah, he's he's in a bit of a fallow period awards wise, which uh, is is too bad uh, because ex machina good. Yes, I, I was saying before we started recording, it feels like comics awards tend to be geared towards things where it's like whoa like where did this come from this is cool or or like a book that is in maybe its second year and is sort of picking up steam yeah it's definitely true that like the hot new thing will will often be very favored and like it's surprising sometimes to look at things that are like much lauded long-running classics and see how rarely they have even been nominated for eisner's let alone one eisner's like like Usagi Yojimbo, as you know, is a series that I stand very hard. It's like critically beloved. It's fan beloved. It's been running since like 1987 or something like that. And it has like one, one, yeah, one Eisner win, I think, for best story, one Eisner win for best lettering, and then like a couple of other lettering nominations. And like, that's it. <laughs> and like Hellboy is another one I'm thinking of that I'm going to fact check myself on that quickly, but I feel like it doesn't have very many Eisner wins either. Uh, yeah. One win for best limited series, one win for best comics related book for the art book. And that's like it. And again, that's like a, a beloved by fans, beloved by critics, long running book by a like mega star right. artist in Mike Mignola, who I think a lot of comics would people people would say is like one of the all-time greats and like the hardware that goes to it is like so minimal well it it almost makes me think that awards shows are often representative of a certain type of media and the group of people who are giving the award and don't often go to what super fans and critics agree are the best works of a given year Gumby Summer Fun Special is all I have to say about that. <laughs> the one time that talent was truly recognized. <laughs> yes. It's cra- it's crazy that that's the it's so crazy because the winter one is so funny. It wasn't oh, even nominated. So bad. Uh, uh name recognition, man. Go back and listen to episode nine if you haven't. It's one of our best memories. <laughs> but of course, that is the conclusion of this episode, yes. I think. Unless on behalf you... of Mr. Bub and his hateful imps, uh, <laughs> signing off. Remember, remember that was a freaking cat, Mr. Bub. Mr. Bub. Yeah, remember that? I think he was. Wait, he wasn't the grumpy cat. It's a different. Oh, <laughs> it's it's a dog, not a cat. <laughs> okay. Anyways, <laughs> oh, I'm thinking of Lil Bub, which is a cat. 
with a weird face. See results about Lil Bub. Don't mind if I do. An American celebrity cat known for her unique physical oh, appearance. Her, her tongue is always out. I guess, yeah. It's got some like weird eyes. Anyways, go check out Lil Bub. But more importantly, remember to immolate and autofillate. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> us on. Oh, us. <laughs> yeah, autoflate us. <laughs> I'm talking. I'm looking in a mirror. <laughs> autoflate us. Uh, uh, on you know the the place where you listen to this. Um, Anchor FM. <laughs> you know, shout Stitcher. out to podcast addict. The uh, the pods yeah. streaming platform of choice. Yes, we the official podcast app of Got the Runs Podcast Addict. I've heard Overcast is good on iPhone, but if you're on the Droid, we're PA PA to the death. PA, you can't avoid. <laughs> uh, tune in next time for episode twenty one when we will be discussing X Machina numbers thirty six to fifty, closing out the X Mach. And there's a couple more getting... specials in there too, right? Yeah, they're just yeah, okay. We'll be roughly halfway through the space <laughs> series at that point. That's not true. Well, it's closer to true than I would, like, <laughs> I would say. I I will say we're we're definitely through the worst of his work, in my opinion, that we'll be covering. So it's we'll be playing the hits from here. And in case you're getting bored, I will say that um, our next couple of series, which we have already planned out, will be shorter for sure. Indeed. Uh, so get excited yeah. for that. <laughs> get, get excited to only having to listen to us talk f- about one creator for eight hours instead of thirty. Uh, I was going to say probably closer to forty. <laughs> the Kanye West special, thirty hours. Thirty hours. Um, but yes, get out of here. The episode is over, and as always, to, to be, continued. be continued. If we ever start recording these in person, that'll. Oh, we should do it slower. We can, if we uh, we can do it at the cottage. <laughs> oh, that would be fun. Live in front of a studio audience, even. Gumby Summer Vlog. <laughs> we should, uh, we should do something uh, for when we're together that's not.